You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Rewilding. We serve a wild and mysterious God who reveals himself through his word and his creation. When we put limitations on who our God is and what our God is capable of, we stand in defiance of his own nature. Today we're starting a, uh, a new series called Rewilding. I'm really excited about it. Um, you know me, I really like uh, participation in sermons. I think that it makes for a better sermon experience for you and for me as well. So uh, I don't know if you got the card on the way in here. You, you filled it out that says, I promise to laugh at my pastor's corny jokes. Like you, all of us have filled that out and signed that, right? So we're good. Um, so, okay, yes, amen, amen. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad that you're here today. I know you could be anywhere else, but you chose to be in God's house, and I believe that, that God is gonna speak to us today. Now, here's another thing that I've come to realize about, about like just Sundays and, and, and just church and just life in general. We live, like today, in a very PC culture. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Yeah? I mean, I, I, I see that on the news. I see people arguing and fighting about the most ridiculous things. <coughs> Excuse me. We will yell at somebody for putting too much cream into our $6 cup of Starbucks coffee, um, you know, and, 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 and maybe the barista won't feel confident enough to say, you're crazy, right, because they want to be PC. We live in a very PC culture where we don't want to offend. We're careful not to hurt feelings. We're careful not to step on anybody's metaphorical toes. And to be honest with you, uh, like that's how culture largely is. Would you agree? Yes? Yeah, of course. Now, the problem with that is, is that somehow, somewhere, like somewhere along the lines, I feel like that PC culture has started to make its way into church culture. And so it's one thing when it's in culture, okay, because it's there. Yes, we're engaging in culture, but, but, but at the point that it comes into church culture, we really need to address that. We really need to talk about that. And we don't like talking about things that, that, are, that you know, like we don't talk, like talking about things that challenge the status quo or, or PC things. Um, but I also think it's also influenced our presentation of the gospel. Uh, I also think it's influenced our, our version of God. We want a PC God. Um, and, I, and I also think this has been like embraced. You're just going to have to kind of like suffer me for a minute here. I think to a large degree many churches have, churches have embraced the PC culture. I think we at times water down the message. I think at times we, we kind of shave off the edges of, of the gospel to make it a little more you know, easy. Uh, maybe we shy away from more difficult texts. We make the gospel more inclusive by, um, you know, instead of presenting the exclusivity that Jesus speaks of. You know what I mean? Like the narrow is the way, narrow is the road, and fewer far, fewer those who find it. We major on the sentiment and not the surrender. We teach a gospel where, where God first reacts to us instead of us first repenting to God. We preach sermons about, it's about to get real, okay, so just hang tight. We preach sermons about living your best life now and seven steps to true happiness and how to feel good about yourself at all times, in all areas, forever and ever, amen. We, that's, these are the type of sermons that we hear. We hear about how Jesus died so we could experience riches and health and success. And if, and if that weren't enough, and I'm sorry if I sound a little bitter, but if that weren't enough, I believe that we've reduced God into a simple equation. If you're taking notes this morning, highly encourage you to do that. I want to give you that equation. It's simple, and it's this. Jesus exists for me. 
We have reduced God to this very simple, limited equation. Jesus, or God rather, exists for me. That his universe revolves around us. In other words, are you with me this morning? In other words, we have tamed God. We have caged God. We have made God to fit into a mold of our own creation. In other words, we have attempted to domesticate the God of the scriptures. We have made God safe, easy, and comfortable, like a blanket that we would give to our three-year-old children. We have reduced him into, into a divine slave who responds to every beck and call that I might have. We've turned God into, into the genie that gives me and grants me my wishes. But you know what's interesting about this? In spite of all the watering down, in spite of all the soft teaching, in spite of all the taming and domesticating and good-feeling teaching, people have never been more disconnected with their faith than they are now. People have never been more bored in their faith than they are now. And sure, many churches and many organizations have grown by leaps and bounds teaching this message and having people come and fill up and their finances are full. And yet those very people will say they feel disconnected, that they feel bored in their relationship with God. Our devotional time with the Lord often seems so tepid. Our prayer lives have become flaccid. Our relationships with God have staggered. And I would submit that the reason for this is because we have settled for a God who only exists to meet our needs and make us happy. But I would say, I would assert, I would suggest that we must rediscover the true God of Scripture. We must truly rediscover the ferocious God of the Bible, the untamable God of this ancient text. We must encounter the God who makes mountains melt like wax, the God who is seated on his throne, surrounded by thunder and lightning and terrifying angels that speak of his power both day and night, the God who is described in Scripture as a consuming fire dressed in unapproachable life, light, the God that makes the earth tremble and the demons shudder. We must rediscover this wild father. We must rediscover the God, the true God of Scripture. And here's what I know. I, I want to make, like I truly at my heart, I want to make a difference in my life. And I know that you do too. I've had enough conversations with you. I've, I've had enough conversations with the body of our church to know that we long to make a difference, don't we? We want to make a dent in our culture. We want to make a shift in our world. We want to see God's spirit move. We want to make a difference. But I would say if we're going to make a difference in our world, we must first experience the all-consuming, holy, righteous, compassionate, wrathful, just, pure, wild, untamable God of the Bible. Because whether or, whether or not you realize it, whether you realize it or not, that is the God that you serve. We do indeed serve a wild and mysterious God who reveals himself through nature, his word, and creation. And so listen now, when we put limitations on who God is or what God is capable of, we stand in defiance of his own nature. 
Our God is wild. Now here's what I can tell you. This is inside of all of us as well. I, I feel like I can speak with some authority on this because I have four boys. Here's what I know about boys. They are wild to the core. They are wild. Uh, 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 just a little while ago, we, were, we went shopping. Uh, we were somewhere around here uh, with a big bullseye as a, a, a logo, if that helps you understand where we were down the road at Target. And, um, and we're all getting out of the car, and Vanessa and I are getting our kids out of the car, and we turn around, and we see Asher um, just pants down, uh, peeing on a tree. Cars going by, people walking. And I run over, my like, Asher, what are you doing? Pull up your pants. He's like, what? I'm just peeing. Literally, just free, you know? Boys are wild. Like, if there's a mud puddle, they're going to jump in it. If there's a bug, they're going to step on it. If there's a tree, they're going to climb it. You get the point, right? Um, this, they're just wild. There's something inside of us that's wild. And you would think that as we grow up, like, we wouldn't be as wild. We are. We've just learned that we can go to jail now for those things. So we stop doing them when people are around. Um, we're just as wild. And I want you to know that nature comes from our God. Our God is wild. Our God is untamable. He cannot be limited by your small and my small imagination of him. One of my favorite authors and theologians, A.W. Tozer, said it this way. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted, substituted for it one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss, listen now, of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. In other words, we have tamed our wild father and put him into a box. Now, to be honest with you, I thought I'd get a little bit better of a response from that quote. One of my favorite authors, one of my favorite theologians, a very strong statement. Um, but that's okay. Maybe I just need to use a more relevant modern theologian. So let's try, let's try this. Maybe I'll, I'll use a, a newer theologian. Is that better? Will that help? Yeah? Um, this is the, another modern-day theologian. His, his name is Jay-Z. Will that help? He's a modern-day theologian, Jay-Z, who says this about putting God in a box. He says, it's time to bring him out, bring him out, A. Bring him out, bring him out, cheer. Bring him out, bring him out. Is that a little bit better? Here's a fact. When it comes to our God, we need to bring him out of the box. We need to pull him out of the cage. He is not something that can be tamed. He is not something that can be domesticated. In fact, I would say it's time to do a bit of rewilding. Now, if the term rewilding is, is new for you, let me give you a definition. Rewilding is the act of restoring something to its natural, uncultivated state. Uh, think about the Yellowstone National Park when they rewilded these, these wolves. They reintroduced these wolves back into the ecosystem, and it made the ecosystem flourish. Now they're eating the elk, with one, which once were overeating the grass and, and causing erosion to take place. They introduced these wolves. They rewilded them. Raised in, in domestication and rewilded. Or you can think about the Grand Canyon where they rewilded these bears and these, and these condors. And what I would say is that today, we as Christians, we need a little bit of rewilding. 
We, we need to live an undomesticated faith. Our culture, our society, even largely our churches and religion itself has tried to tame the believer, to domesticate the man, the woman who is a believer in Jesus Christ. And the problem with that is we serve a wild, ferocious, untamable God. How are you going to try to tame him? How are you, you going to try to, 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 to tame a believer in Jesus Christ? We need to be rewilded. And, and so I really see it as there's only two options. Number one, we, we don't do that. <laughs> Option number one. Option number one is we just keep doing what we're doing, which is we show up to church, we hear somebody talk, we sing a couple worship songs, get, flip a couple coins, and then we go home and live the rest of our lives. That is option number one. Or option number two is that we can pursue God in his real supremacy and grandeur, glory and captifying beauty. I don't know about you, but I want to choose number two. I don't know about you, but I want to get a better glimpse of God. I don't want a limited, domesticated view of my God. I want an unfettered, realistic, wild, untamable view of my God. I want to know the real God of the scripture. And I would say this, if this makes you feel uncomfortable, good. God makes me feel uncomfortable. God is good, but he is not safe. God is good, but he is not simple. <laughs> God is good, but he is terrifying. And so we choose to stand in awe of him. So if you're with me, let's begin. I've only got one point for today. I hope that's okay. It's a strong point, and that's why I only have one point. Um, here is the one point. <laughs> here it is. You are not God. In fact, you are nothing like God. That's my one and only point. You are not God. In fact, you are nothing like God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says it like this. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Scripture makes it very clear that God is not like us. Now, I don't know what your faith background is. I don't know if you're a Christ follower or, or maybe you're not. Maybe that's why you're here today. You're trying to walk through that and figure that out, right? But regardless, most of us would probably agree, regardless of our faith upbringing or faith background, current, current walk of life, most of us would probably agree that God is not like us. Yes, God is not like us. If there is a God, maybe you're an atheist and you're hearing or listening to this today saying, I don't believe in God. Okay, at least maybe we could agree upon this, that if there is a God, that God could not or would not be like us. And yet, so often, I think that we believe God to, to, to simply be a more powerful version of ourselves. I think that's what we think of God. Like, I have some knowledge, but God has a lot more knowledge. I have some strength, but God has more strength. I have, uh, you know, I am loving, but God is more loving. I'm, I'm, you know, we're big, we're a big deal, but God is a lot bigger. Does that make sense? Um, the problem with that is, 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 once again, it puts God into a cage. It tames him. It lim limits him and his size to the reaches or the fences of my own imagination. Yes, it is true. You can make the argument, and you're right. 
it is true that as image bearers of God, which scripture tells us that we are, it says that we are created in his image. So as image bearers of God, we do share some of his attributes. But scripture also makes it painfully clear that God is not like us. God is, is not like us. Listen, God is not a bigger, better version of us. God is not an upgrade deluxe version of us. No, God is infinitely greater than us. God is wholly other than us. He is a God who decimates our imaginations and obliterates our tiny misconceptions of him. And if, if we were truly honest, I wonder if we would imagine ourselves as like miniature gods of miniature worlds. You know what I'm talking about? We're after control, we're after power, we fight for success and popularity and celebrity, and in our heart of hearts, we truly believe that we are quite something. Now, we, not, we may not play that off on the surface, but in our heart of hearts, we truly believe that we are quite something. And although we know God is God, surely God is at least impressed with us, like a little bit, just a little bit, right? God is impressed with us. The reality is, all of us, we are desperately in need to be impressive. We long for respect and honor and accolades. We look up to those who have made it big. We, we look up to those who have reached the top. We adore rock stars. We, we adore comedians and, and, and actors and, and politicians. But the question is, is God impressed? Is, is God impressed? What, what does God think of our, quote, impressive accomplishments? If, if God is not like us, then is God impressed with the things that we're impressed with? I don't think so. In fact, I think it might be quite the opposite. In fact, listen to how Psalm 2 puts it. Starting verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens, pause. Look at this next word. What does God do? It says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Listen, God laughs at our plans to come against him. And notice, he doesn't even bother to get up. Scripture makes it very clear he's sitting in the heavens. God is not impressed with our plans. God is not impressed with your celebrity. God is not impressed with your wealth. God is not impressed with your power. And honestly, why would he be? Why would God be impressed with power, wealth, control, celebrity, fame. Isaiah 40, 15 says like this, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Wow. There's a gut check. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Listen, all the nations put together from all time, put together, <laughs> all of them are nothing more than a drop of water to God. If all the water, if all, if, all the, if all the nations got together and made a multi-billion uh, person army, they would still be nothing more than a drop, a blip, a slight mist to God that he wouldn't even waste his time standing up about. He laughs at the things we think God should be impressed by. 
And you may be a high-powered lawyer. You may be a corporate executive, a billionaire, the best boss, the, the best parent, the best teacher, the best pastor, the best student. Congratulations. Just know that you are still one tiny little atom in a drop that makes up, of all, makes up the human race. We are nothing but, according to Scripture, but a piece of dust that e- doesn't even register on the heavenly scale. Now, take a breath. Just breathe. Back up. I'm not talking about your worth. I'm not talking about your value. I understand that this talk is not politically accurate or politically correct. This form, this way of talking is not, you know, political. It's not PC. Uh, I know everyone deserves a blue ribbon. Everyone is a unique snowflake who deserves to be handled carefully. I get that. Okay, I understand where you're coming from. I'm not downing your accomplishments, your worth, your work ethic. I'm just saying that we severely need a dose of reality. We need to step away from the funhouse mirror that we call our life and see ourselves for who God says we are. And we also need to see God for who he is because once again, God cannot be, will not be, could not be, cannot be domesticated. God cannot be tamed. God is wild. God, the God who is not impressed, he is not impressed by the things that impress us. God is not impressed by those who manage to fight their way to the top. He isn't impressed by how many songs you've gotten into the top 100 billboard. He isn't impressed with your genius. He isn't impressed with your bank account. He isn't impressed with the dictators, the presidents, or the kid who can solve the Rubik's Cube with a blindfold on. I'm impressed by that kid, but he's not. God is not impressed. I mean, seriously. I mean, can we just be real? Real talk for a second? Just take a step back. Just take a step back and think about that. We're talking about the God who orchestrates planets and oceans and trillions of living creatures. Do you really think that we could ever rise high enough to impress God? I don't think so. No. And yet, this shows us once again why God is not like us. Because although we are impressed, with how high someone can go in life, God is impressed with how low someone will go. Isaiah says it like this in chapter 66. He said, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So as it turns out, there is a way to impress God, and it involves going down, not going up. If you want to catch the eye of God, if I want to catch the eye of God, I must fight my way to the bottom, not fight my way to the top. Man, that is so countercultural. It's crazy quiet in here. We must fight our way to the bottom, not fight our way to the top. If we, if we wish to catch the eye of God, that is exactly what we must do. I must humble myself. I must lower myself. I must place my face in the dirt. I must make less of myself, not more. I must embrace my littleness, not out of a sense of false humility or self-loathing, but rather out of intense awe and reverence for the one living God who sits on the throne and commands the army of heaven. And I will also say this, the proper position for a frail, dependent, self 
uh, a small creature like myself is on my knees in a humble adoration. That is the proper response. Humility is not some sort of a, a fake attitude that we adopt. Humility is simple, simply the proper response to a God who is infinitely greater, infinitely better, infinitely wiser, and infinitely more powerful than me. Humility is actually the proper response to an eternal God. It is not some false thing. I don't know what we've made humility out to be, but it's not the humility that God speaks of. Humility says, there is a God and I am not him. There is an infinite God who, Scripture says, holds everything together, who created me while I was in my mother's womb, who knit me together, who before the very foundations of the world were, he knew me and called me by name, and I am not him. That is humility. That's true humility. Not walking up to somebody and being like, hey, you did a great job singing. Oh, man, thank you. You know, it's just all glory to God. I just, that's not humility. Humility is face down before a God who we could not impress with our greatest works, who we could never earn favor from no matter what we did. I have to be honest with you. I, I'm really trying to learn this, humble brag. Um, but humility is freeing. You realize that? Humility is incredibly freeing. When I experience the freeing nature of humility before God, I don't have to impress you anymore. I just don't. I don't have to impress you. Humility allows me to stop trying to act like I know everything. Humility, uh, it frees me up to stop proving how important I am, or at least how important I think that you should think that I am. Right? Humility allows me to be the me that God actually created me to be, full of quirks, imperfections, oddities, weirdness, gingerness. And here's what's crazy. Even though God is not impressed, God is in love. Oh, man. Even though God is not impressed, God is in love. God knows exactly who I am, and he still loves me. God knows exactly who you are, and he still loves you. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make sense. And this is another way that God simply is not like us. Because even though God knows me, the real me, the darkest me, the deepest me, the me that nobody knows, the me that I don't want to know. Even though God knows that me, he still loves me. In fact, Romans 5 tells us that God demonstrated said love and that before I even came to him, he sent Jesus to die for me. But Jesus doesn't, God just doesn't say he loves me. He demonstrated that love before I even was born, before I even turned to him. Man, he's in love. Sending Christ to die on the cross. And by the way, listen, the cross of Christ is the greatest proof that God is not like us. The cross itself. The cross is evidence that God's ways are infinitely higher than ours. The cross takes a chainsaw to all our preconceived notions about God. The cross of Christ strips away the curtain and reveals God in all of his blinding majesty. The cross shows us what God is, is actually like. Because the cross of Christ, 
at the cross, we see the, an impossible problem and a startling solution. Here's the problem. How can wicked, rebellious men and women like you and myself ever be reconciled to a holy, perfect, glory-filled glory, glory God? I mean, God is holy. God is righteous on another level. You get that, right? Like when the angels, when Scripture says that the angels surround his throne, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, they're not just like singing some like catchy top 40 tune. They're proclaiming a reality. <laughs> they're, just, they're just stating a truth. Holy, God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. God is mighty. God is all powerful. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is eternal. They're just stating a reality. God hates sin because God is holy. Sin is the antithesis of God. It is the opposite of what is good and just. God hates sin, which is a problem because I'm filled with it. So there's the dilemma. There's the dilemma. It's an impossible dilemma. My sin keeps me from God's holiness. And sure, we can try our best to get over that, you know, hump, right? And we've tried. But as we've seen, our best works don't impress God. Our best actions don't impress God. We can work really hard and be really sincere and do really good things, but Scripture teaches us that our, even our best works, our greatest works, are like filthy rags before a holy God. You can give all your money to the poor. You can become a monk and take a vow of silence, and it's not going to get you closer to God. It's not going to get you to where you need unless you come the route through Jesus Christ. It's just, it's just not going to. I mean, we've tried to come up with our own solutions. Man, man has come up with pilgrimages, relics, great works, uh, you know, cleansing rituals and vows of silence. But listen to me, pilgrimage, pilgrimages, relics, greater works cannot cleanse your soul. Something greater is needed. Something bigger is needed. Something more infinite is needed. And only God, leave it to God, only God could devise a way for the divine justice and divine mercy to walk hand in hand. Only God, whose ways are not like my ways, could ever devise a plan that could both satisfy his justice and allow him to forgive those like myself who have so grievously offended him. And I want you to know that the cross is a visual demonstration of God's deep, unfathomable wisdom. Let me explain. 2 Corinthians 5 says it like this. For our sake. Whose sake? Whose sake? For our sake. For my sake. For your sake. Personalize this right now. I'm going to. For Travis's sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, Travis might become the righteousness of God. Insert your own name. Clearly, that's not just for me, but it's for you. It's for us. Listen, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, became a man, lived a life of perfect righteousness, then died in my place, died in our place. Jesus satisfied God's holy wrath for our sin, and he freely gives his perfect righteousness to us. I could not have come up with that plan. Neither could you. Only a holy God could have come up with that solution. The kind of God who, who would die on a cross for me. The kind of God who would take my sins upon him. The kind of God who would make himself nothing, becoming a servant in order to rescue me. And I get it because we say that I don't understand how God works. But here's what I can tell you. I may not understand how God works. I may not always 
understand why God does what he does or even like the things that he does. But I can trust a God who would take his own son's life in order to save mine. I can can trust that God, regardless of my situation, my circumstance, my children, the people that have left me, the people that have loved me, the people that have hurt me, the people that I've lost. I can trust a God who would take his own son's life to spare and save mine. Romans 8 says it this way. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously Give us all things. See, God did the unthinkable and impossible for me and for you because God cannot be tamed. Because God is wild. Because God will do what God wishes to do. And God desires you. God loves you. God comes after you. And you can run from it. You can hide from it. But it will not change our undomesticated father. It will not change the fact that he sent his son to die for us. And so what do I do? (laughs) Well, what can I do? What can you do? If you believe in the God of the ancient text of the scripture, you really only have one option. Surrender. (laughs) What do you do? You can surrender. And I can rest in God and trust in this God even when life doesn't add up and even when life doesn't make sense because he is our wild father. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.